Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily National Football League podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout Matt Williamson on this Wednesday episode. We're getting close to the kickoff, Matt, of the extravaganza, the Locked On NFL mock draft special for 2020. I can't wait. That's coming up. Close Friday, we'll kick that off, and it'll be a little bit of a network takeover. You'll hear some of that, at least, on all of the shows here on the network, and then you'll have to tune in to Locked On NFL all next week. To finish that up, we go through round one, plus a little bit extra, because we want to hear from all 32 teams. So those teams without first-round picks will also have a chance to select in round two at the end of this mock draft, and there will be some trades. So maybe one of those teams that doesn't, or maybe multiple teams that don't currently have first-round picks will end up with first-round picks due to trades that will be happening in this mock draft. And we'll have the hosts choosing for their teams, and we'll have the college hosts involved giving player profiles. I mean, it's going to be so fun, and I'm starting to see some of this come together. It's fantastic. So you have to check out that mock draft that kicks off Friday. And today, we will finish up Matt Williamson's running back rankings for the NFL draft, 6 through 10 on his list and the NFC West I think comes first here we've got to finish it up it's our last division Matt of all of our division by division breakdowns post free agency what these teams look like as they head into the 2020 NFL draft and it's the NL it's the uh I would say the NL West there's no baseball happening right now the NFC (laughs) West let's start at the top alphabetical the Arizona Cardinals, an interesting offseason here because of the big trade that went down. It shook up the NFL, adding DeAndre Hopkins. He was acquired from the Houston Texans in a deal that looks like a real sweetheart deal for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they got a fourth-round pick along with DeAndre Hopkins in exchange for running back David Johnson, a 2020 second-round pick, and a 2021 fourth-round selection. They also placed the, the transition tag on running back Kenyon Drake, Maybe throw in an offensive tackle in the draft. That offense starts to look pretty fun in Arizona. One-year deal with linebacker Devondre Campbell. They re-signed future Hall of Fame wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald to a one-year deal. It looks like this is going to be his victory lap in the NFL. Marcus Gilbert, offensive lineman, one-year contract. Devin Kennard, three years, $20 million at linebacker. And Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle, gets a three-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals. And as far as departures from Arizona, mentioned David Johnson there goes to the Texans. Demir Bird signs with the uh, the New England Patriots. Wide receiver Farrell Cooper to the Carolina Panthers. Tight end Charles Clay. Offensive lineman A.Q. Shipley. Uh, linebacker Joe Walker signed with the 49ers. Linebacker Brooks Reed looks like he is gone. And Rodney Gunter, defensive end, will sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That is so far the Arizona Cardinals offseason. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a lot's obviously changed with this organization, but let's take it back just one year. I mean, we were we were sitting here one year ago saying, are they really going to take Kyler Murray? Are they going to move on from Josh Rosen? Is Murray done with baseball? You know, like that wasn't that long ago. And just think where this team has come since then. And a lot of a lot of transactions, as you just spelled out so well, you know, and, and the offense is starting to take shape. They re-signed D.J. Humphreys. Maybe they'll draft an opposite tackle, give some protection. The receiver core is really rounded into shape. Drake's an upgrade over Johnson, and they get to dump that contract. Uh, Money's going to go to Hopkins, of course, but he's still a phenomenal player. 
on defense, guys like Kennard and Campbell, Bullard maybe even, are useful. They're not superstars, but Jordan Phillips is a real impact player in the middle too. So all of a sudden, a team that was so bereft of talent, bereft of talent, is now really heading in the right direction. And it looks like the coach and quarterback were the foundations. And you go from there. So it kind of gives hope to some of these teams that are picking early this upcoming draft. I'm glad you brought up last year at this time because, yeah, people still weren't sure. And there was really strong rumors like, man, is Cliff really going to draft a quarterback here? They had just taken a quarterback top 10. And a lot of folks still thought, no, they're not going to do that. They're screwing around. They're trying to trade the pick. They're going to draft Nick Bosa number one overall. And no, they went with the quarterback. They traded away uh, the guy they had just drafted in the top 10. And it looks like a great move. And it looks like this franchise now that was sort of sputtering has some direction. And and the arrow is definitely pointed up, I think, for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about where we think this division stands maybe after this and if they've gotten themselves out of the cellar of the NFC West. It's a really strong division. One of those teams that 15 months ago was in the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams, seems to be going in the other direction. And I don't feel like they have a clear path. Like, what's the plan right now in Los Angeles? Let's go through what they've done this offseason. Mostly the losses are, are what's key with the Rams. Austin Blythe, offensive lineman, one year deal. Michael Brockers thought he might go to the Ravens. That deal fell through, so he's coming back to Los Angeles on a three-year, $31 million contract, so still a nice payday there for the veteran in Michael Brockers. Uh, Leonard Floyd, he was cut by the Bears, signs a one-year contract with the Los Angeles Rams. Ashawn Robinson, defensive tackle, two-year, $17 million contract, and Andrew Whitworth sticking around for a three-year deal worth $30 million. Wasn't sure he had three years left in him. Yeah, And as far as departures go, the big one they cut, running back Todd Gurley, uh, QB Blake Bortles gone, Dante Fowler, edge rusher, signs with the Atlanta Falcons, Corey Littleton, a big loss there, signs with the Las Vegas Raiders, Clay Matthews gone, Nickel Roby Coleman to the Eagles, Eric Weddle retired at safety, and Greg Zerline, the Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams, what are they doing, what's the plan here? We talk about them a lot in that I think that they're a very unique organization. Oh, by the way, them and their L.A. counterparts are going to be on hard dock. So there's a little bit of news and a time when we're not getting any news and everybody's hunkered down for their their draft prep. Um, That should be interesting. Two teams at once. I don't know what we can talk about that down the road or whatever, but interesting. I talk about the Rams a lot in that I believe in the city they're at, they are stars and no middle class and they're trying to sell jerseys and compete with all that goes on in LA. And they have some of that in, you know, Aaron Donald, of course, and now Jalen Ramsey, but Gurley's gone. Is Goff really a star? You know, a guy they paid for Brandon cooks has had multiple concussions. He could get traded at a, at a discount of what they paid for him and five years in a row without a first round pick. Like, you better hit on all those excess third, fourth, fifth round picks. And they do make a lot of picks year after year, but that's a tough situation, man. I mean, to keep buying expensive, you know, things at the shiny things at the store, it eventually catches up with you, especially, and I don't mean to place all the blame on Goff, but if Goff isn't, we started about Kyler Murray. We think he's the answer. If Goff isn't the answer though, and isn't a $30 million type quarterback that can make all these problems go away, then all of a sudden you might be in the quarterback market too. So 
I feel like the arrow's going down on the Rams. But that being said, if the rules for this year with seven playoff teams applied, the Rams would have got in last year. And who knows? They maybe won a game or two or three. I mean, who's to say? But I think their defensive tackle situation remains strong, bringing back Brockers even after going and getting his replacement in Robinson. I don't want to say they're lucky, but they're fortunate that they kept um, Whitworth. I mean, to me, that's about as big a move as you could get for these guys because their O-line really is problematic. Blythe is, I don't know if he's more of the problem or the answer, but at least they brought him back. And I think they lost a little bit in terms of Floyd for Fowler. But they didn't get hit that hard, but they're kind of a fragile situation any way you cut it. The Yeah, the no first-round picks is the rough part because if you're a defense and you added, I mean, they added a stud cornerback. Jalen Ramsey's one of the best, if not the best, cornerback in the league right now. and But as a result, now you don't have a first-round pick to replace guys that you're losing on the defensive side of the ball because of some of those big salaries, and you have to cut your star running back that you just signed not long ago. You lose Corey Littleton, Dante Fowler. Those yeah, are big pieces on that defense. Are they a better defense without their nickel corner, without a pass rusher, and a, without a linebacker? No first-round pick to add more talent there, but with a, a stud cornerback. So it's interesting. And there's obviously bounce-back potential as well for the Rams. They're not going to be an awful football team, I don't think. But how good can they be? Can they be that team that got to the Super Bowl without the resources to rebuild that thing naturally through the draft? So that's... yeah. That's a team to watch. What's the direction here? And I think they've got to figure some of that out. And then you got to pay a whole bunch of, of money still to a star cornerback or else that trade makes zero sense. Yeah. And I mean, I really like the coaching staff and I think that they are an advanced group, but if the running game isn't going, Goff's not going to elevate them and you lost your top back who probably was addition by subtraction financially and your blocking was lackluster last year. Is all those is that whole aspect going to get better? Can Goff elevate you? You mentioned some big defensive pieces like Littleton that are going to be really hard to replace without a first round pick. Like they're an interesting case study. Like I'm not saying they're going to be a bottom feeder, but it just seems like they took their shot and that window slammed shut. I believe in McVay. Goff, I think, gets yeah. unfairly criticized sometimes. I think he's a good quarterback. Can he elevate the rest of that football team? Can he take that next step? I think is the key for Goff and probably for the Rams. Yeah, exactly. And I would lean towards no more than yes. And I don't hate Goff. It's just a lot is on his shoulders and a lot is riding on him right now, the way that they're set up. Okay, coming up, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks. We'll talk running backs. And if we have time, maybe we'll get into another Matt Williamson positional ranking for the NFL draft coming up. The last two representatives for the NFC in the Super Bowl came from the NFC West, talked about how 15 months ago it was the Rams coming off a Super Bowl loss. This time it's the San Francisco 49ers, and they had to make one massive move to try to keep everybody else really in-house is what it looks like the 49ers did this offseason. And Eric Armstead re-signs $17 million a year, five-year contract, Jimmy Ward is re-upped on a three-year contract at free safety for $28.5 million. Uh, they re-signed Ben Garland at center, and then they added a one-year deal for the speedy Travis Benjamin at wide receiver to compete at the bottom of that roster, I think, with uh, you know some return duties and be that speed guy, third, fourth, fifth wide receiver, how things shake out there in San Francisco, depending on how they draft. And speaking of the draft, they added the 13th overall pick 
by trading DeForest Buckner to the Indianapolis Colts that allowed them to re-sign Ward and Armstead. They did lose wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints. Garrett Selleck retired at tight end. Levine Toilolo block first tight end, signed with the New York Giants. And Jason Verrett's out there. Looks like his career is in doubt because of all the injuries that have piled up. He didn't really even play much on his one-year contract with the 49ers last year. And that is it so far for the 49ers offseason. And obviously this is your team, and you spelled that out very well. And to kind of reiterate your thoughts, I mean, it seems like a pretty simple equation that, boy, we love DeForest Buckner, but if we ship him out, we can then keep Ward and Armstead, a couple smaller pieces. But the beauty is you pick up the 13th pick in the draft. (laughs) You know, like, it's not like most situations where we are, or the Titans, you know, where, we have four big free agents. We're going to pick the two we like, and the other ones are going to go. Well, yeah, you lose a piece, but you pick up a very valuable draft pick, and you were extremely light on draft capital to begin with. And not that you're going to draft a, an immediate replacement for DeForest Buckner, but if that's Kinlaw or the receivers we've talked about so much, you're a better team, I think. You know, I mean, in terms of having to take a hit, you get in the boxing ring and realize you're going to take some shots. It's not the worst one to take, and I'm not discrediting what a great player Buckner is. It's just you got something back, but you really got more than the 13th pick. You got Armstead and Ward, too. And I don't think ideally that was the way they had planned this thing to go. I think they wanted to do a long-term deal with DeForest Buckner. They talked numbers with him, and then they just realized when they looked at the equation, $21 million a year for DeForest Buckner, or you get to keep Eric Armstead and you get the 13th overall pick in the draft, a premium draft pick and you save $4 million, you get a versatile player, a really good player still. It hurts to lose Buckner, but it was it was something they basically had to do once the Colts came with that first-round pick. Yeah, right. And for a Super Bowl team that doesn't have a ton of needs, I think that can be somewhat of a luxury pick, or you trade down 31. We've talked about it a lot. I mean, we talk a lot of Niners. They're in really good shape in terms of roster construction, and I'm not sure I'd put any team over them right now. Here's the question I have. Wide receiver is the one that... that it's a little bit odd to me because Emmanuel Sanders, you let him walk, and that was a guy that, and they basically have the same wide receiver group they ran with last year to start the season, except for they added Travis Benjamin so far. We'll see what happens in the draft. You needed a wide receiver with that group so bad that you traded your third and fourth round picks in this year's draft to get Emmanuel Sanders. Now you let him walk. You think that this group is going to be good enough now, a year later, Because last year you needed to trade for a veteran, and you don't have that veteran now. And the 49ers could, if they had Emmanuel Sanders, they could sit there at 13. More trade options, maybe. You wouldn't be so attached to a wide receiver, in my mind, at that pick. And you could use the the value of the depth of the wide receiver class in this draft. Maybe try to draft and develop another guy round two, round three, after some trades or, or later. Now it seems like they're really locked into wide receiver after letting Emmanuel Sanders go. Because they need that number two with Debo, and there's a lot of players on the roster there's a lot of guys that could potentially fill some roles but a lot of question marks so the wide receiver move is the one that's that's questionable to me and I'm interested to see how that turns out yeah and you're 100% right and not coincidentally it's an awesome receiver draft but you're asking for a rookie to step in and be a major contributor and Debo did that last year but does that mean that C.D. Lamb can do it this year or Jefferson or whomever you know I mean um, you're still asking a rookie to do a lot yeah. But they are a heavy run team. They're a heavy scheme team. They have Kittle, by the way. You know, That's the number one wide receiver. Yeah, right. the number one receiver is Kittle for sure. And it's 
It's interesting because they, and I, this is just throwing that out there for you mock drafters out there, the timing of how things went down there. It was like basically within the same day or two, they were at the Combine. They met with Henry Ruggs at the Combine. Don't re-sign Emmanuel Sanders, traded for the number 13 overall pick. So just throwing that out there. The, similar. You know what, though? I mean, they could do another trick like that at the trade deadline and give up next year's fourth-round pick for the uh, similar thing as Sanders. That's true. Maybe see how things go, and then they think, well, all right, let's go find a veteran. The Seattle Seahawks, they have... This roster is actually potentially getting much better now. And I've got to applaud the Seahawks because a lot of people had predicted their demise. But man, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, they kept rolling. And for their, uh, you got to give them credit for being able to sort of rebuild on the run. The roster got worse and it's on the way up. I think it's getting better. And they didn't do a bunch of stuff in free agency, but it's the draft pick and some of the capital they had in free agency to be able to still do some things and have flexibility is interesting in Seattle. And it's clear that they're not going anywhere. Philip Dorsett signs a one-year deal at wide receiver. They made a trade for Quentin Dunbar at cornerback with Washington for a fifth-round pick. B.J. Finney, offensive lineman signing on a two-year, $8 million deal. Jacob Hollister, uh, second-round tender there, restricted free agent, so he's sticking around. Bruce Irvin, he is going to sign, it looks like, a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. Cedric Obuye, uh, he's got, a, I don't see what the terms are here on his deal, but they signed themselves another offensive lineman. Jaron Reed re-signs on a two-year contract inside a big defensive tackle. And then the veteran, Greg Olson, one-year, $7 million deal, which is uh, kind of an odd one to me. And then looking yeah. at the guys on the way out in Seattle, Geno Smith, CJ Procise, Marshawn Lynch, who might make another appearance. He said he's not closing the door on another playoff run, which was a really strange storyline there for a couple of weeks in the NFL when he came back. Uh, wide receivers Jaron Brown and Josh Gordon do not have homes yet. Uh, Ed Dixon, tight end. Mike Yapati at guard. George Fant signed with the Jets. Jermaine Ifedi signed with the Bears. Al Woods, defensive tackle with the Jaguars. Zeke Ansa, I think, is still unsigned out there, unless I missed I that so. one. Yeah. Uh, Quentin Jefferson signed with the Bills, defensive end. Michael Kendricks, unsigned. And Jadavian Clowney's the big one. Looks like his asking price came down. They're trying to still get that deal done in Seattle. And when you add all this stuff up, offensive tackle, offensive line, edge, those are the two big ones that they've got to figure out. Yeah, and a trend here. I mean, obviously, Seattle has Wilson, and they're a winning organization. And I, I do respect the organization quite a bit. The Olsen move I thought was odd, but I think he brings culture um, they should be, you know, Disley comes back. They should be decent at tight end, at least for the short term. But in terms of just the moves we listed of what they've added, it's pretty clear what they're doing. I mean, they're almost <sighs> all big people, you know, I mean, on both sides of the ball, Jerron Reed, BJ Finney, Brandon Shell, Bruce Irvin, Cedric Abouye, take a chance on Chance Warmack. I didn't mean to say take a chance, take a chance. And so, you know, they're, they're throwing a bunch at the screen. And their O-line's been a problem for a while and maybe overpay a little. But if you get two decent starters out of that group or three different starters out of that group on both sides of the ball, you got something to build with and you're better. I mean, the offensive line should be better. And that's it pays a lot of dividends. I think the offense has a chance to be really good. They're still in the market for edge pass rush and maybe that's clowny and 
Um, they've made two trades in the secondary that I think helped them a lot. You know, Dunbar and Diggs these last two years. The linebackers still look pretty darn sturdy. So I do think we witnessed a rebuild in Seattle. But, wow, I mean, they never hit anything close to rock bottom. Or, you know, I mean, they were still a playoff team all the way through it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder if they – there's been talk that they're going to – and they added some speed there at wide receiver. DK Metcalf last year had a fantastic rookie year. There's talk that they're going to take the shackles off of Russell Wilson, let him chuck it a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if that's in Pete Carroll's blood necessarily, but if I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm all for it. Let's go out there and chuck it a little bit more and and maybe put up a few more points. I agree, but I don't know that Pete Carroll agrees. I would hope so. I mean, you talk about a guy that deserves to have the reins taken off him. It's Wilson, and now you have Metcalf and tight ends and just put it all on his shoulders and bombs away. But the other method has worked, though. I mean, there is an argument for both. We've got to get to these rankings, the rest of Matt Williamson's running back rankings for the NFL Draft coming up. All right, to remind listeners of the list from yesterday, we won't get deep into the top five, but here is how the top five shake out for Matt Williamson's in the NFL Draft. Um We've got J.K. Dobbins, number one, out of Ohio State. Number two, Cam Akers of Florida State. DeAndre Swift is number three on Matt's list here out of Georgia. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, number four. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, number five at the running back position. I think things get a little bit more shaky after those top five, Matt. So how do you see six through ten shaking out? Yeah, and if you didn't listen yesterday, those top five to me are all very, very similar. I mean, just because one guy's one and one's five, depending on the scheme, I'm not sure you know who I'd like better. I think they're all very comparable grades, and they're their own tier. And I think that a lot of them, as we talked about yesterday, will be second-round picks and be very big-time contributors in the league. I then see a tier of two guys to me, Zach Moss at Utah, A.J. Dillon at Boston College, that I'm calling my tier two running backs. And... Moss runs so hard. I mean, he's a great blocker, big, strong body, workhorse traits, um, really, really good um, balance, and maybe the toughest guy to get on the ground of this whole group. A.J. Dillon, I mean, if this was the mid-80s or 90s, I think he's an obvious first-round pick because he's really big and he's really fast. And he has power, but he's not Jerome Bettis or Marshawn Lynch in terms of just dragging piles and bashing people. But I mean, he generates a lot of power and or generates a lot of acceleration and can run away from people and has good feet and isn't the chubby guy. So he's pretty intriguing. 250 pounds ran a, uh, what, four five, three, I think at the combine for AJ Dillon. So that's a, that's a large man. And I wonder if, it just the league's going away from that so much. Does that hurt him? Do, do, is there going to be some teams out there? Maybe who knows? It's the Seahawks to say, oh man, I like that. We we haven't seen one of these in a while and wants that downhill 200 and nearly 200 was 247 pounds at the combine type of running back. Or are they going to stay away from the bigger thumper backs like AJ Dillon, Zach Moss? Are those guys going to tumble in this year's draft? It's I, I, the league is just going away from it so much. And there's a name on this list that I think the league is going toward that I think is very interesting, but I'll let you continue before we get to that name. Okay. Um, I then have another tier 
where I'm the more I watch them, the more fond I get of them and think that I'm not saying they're a feature back, but could be a mid-round steal, could end up being highly productive fantasy people in the right situation or the starter gets hurt or, you know, the more I watch Josh Kelly from UCLA and Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt, I think both these guys are pretty darn good. And, and Kelly was really consistent over these last two years, tore up the senior bowl, has a little more juice than I expected. I mean, a lot more acceleration than I thought. And, and same with Vaughn. I mean, Vaughn, I thought was going to be kind of a mundane between the tackles workhorse pounder. He runs away from people though, and didn't get a whole lot of help at Vanderbilt. Both of those players, I think helped themselves quite a bit at the combine Vaughn. You mentioned a very compact guy, thick in the, in the lower half, 214 pounds at five, nine. He ran a four, five, one, which is a very nice time. And then Joshua Kelly was one of the ones that really surprised people at the combine running four fours and, and showing up with some nice size, you know, prototype 5'10", 212 pounds, four, four, nine. So both those players really helped themselves. And for a team that wants to wait on running back, and I don't know where these guys are going to go at running back, but it's clear the first two or the first five players could go in the first three rounds and first two days of the draft. And then you miss on those guys. Okay. You could see Joshua Kelly carving out a role and, and being somebody that, you know, you, you fantasy footballers out there, all of a sudden, halfway through the year, it's like, wait, who's this guy, Josh Kelly, who suddenly made his way to the top of a depth chart because of injuries and whatnot, and he's playing yeah. pretty darn well. So, you know, Joshua Kelly, Keyshawn Vaughn could be that type. I don't know if they'll be drafted as starters, but I could see them carving out a huge role in the NFL. But the guy I really want to talk about here on this list is the one that comes in at number 10. And this is the way the NFL is going with Antonio Gibson types. The the running back, you have him listed out of Memphis. And I'm really glad you listed him at running back because he's listed at wide receiver in a lot of places. Well, I did that because I cheated, to be very honest, because I did 10 <laughs> receivers and he didn't make that list because the receivers are so good. And I had these tiers of nine running backs. And so I'm like, well, I want to talk about Gibson. And he's pretty darn good. So I'm going to call him a running back today. And I don't know if he's a running back or a receiver. I know he didn't get a ton of touches, but you got to remember two years ago, they had Pollard, they had Henderson. But when he touches the ball, he makes play after play. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. So if you watch him as a running back, he runs he runs high. Like he doesn't really know what he's doing. If you watch him as a receiver, he's not a refined route runner. But when you get him the ball, very good things happen time and time again. I mean, at a minimum, he could be a kick returner, a quarter L Patterson type but capable of maybe a lot more. I mean, jet sweeps and things like that. And it's a Rorschach test for teams and GMs and coaches. Who do they like? Do they like Zach Moss and A.J. Dillon, or do they like Antonio Gibson? And at this point, it's hard to – a team has to figure out, okay, what what are we gonna, what number are we going to put on his back? What position is he going to play and then dabble in the other one? Because if you're drafting Antonio Gibson, you're going to use him as a gadget player. You're going to use him at both. But where does he have the potential to be a full-time player – and to me, I feel like I see that at running back more than wide receiver. And I think it's more difficult to teach what he needs at wide receiver than at running back. And, and when you have a running back who can split out and do wide receivery things, that's hugely valuable. When you have, and he can make big plays as a runner too, and you know, for someone who runs maybe an outside zone scheme or something like that. If you put a wide receiver, I don't know that he alters the defense. I don't think he challenges the defense enough as a wide receiver to where if he's playing full-time wide receiver, then you move him around. You're like, okay, he's a gadget guy. I know what you're doing here. But if he was a running back, I think that 
makes him more valuable to me with with what I've seen from him on tape and what I would try to what I would try to what I would try to make him be full time is running back that can play wide receiver. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, part of me worries that he could be Ty Montgomery and end up being neither and then he's just right. a returner gadget guy and that's okay. I mean, that wouldn't mean he's a, you know, a bust. And the NFL is not the easiest place to learn on the fly either. I tend to be with you, though, that if I can pitch it to him, if I can line him up at running back and then split him out wide when I get heavier sets and all those type of things, but still keep people honest by handing him the ball in traditional manners, that's probably his best bet as opposed to teaching him how to set up NFL corners and you know all the subtle nuances of play and receiver at the NFL level. So I'm with you. I mean, we may hear, but I was about to say you may hear nothing from him as a rookie or his first year. And then I thought, well, I bet he still touches the ball here and there and helps. Yeah, jet sweeps, maybe some special team stuff. I mean, he's six feet, 228, ran a 4.39. So that's a player that, I mean, I don't know if he's going to last long. Maybe he gets overdrafted because of his measurables and a team gets a little bit overzealous and thinking, oh man, like, like Paris Campbell, who, who didn't do much. And I thought, man, people are going a little bit too crazy last year for Paris Campbell because there's a lot of development needed there. And I wonder if Antonio Gibson's going to get the same treatment, get overdrafted, and then you get him on your roster and you're like, oh yeah, we can only use him five times a game. That's right. you know that's not worth a third round pick, right? Right. I mean, I I have kind of a not a phobia, but I have a little bit of a prejudice against players. They're usually tiny guys, though, Dexter McCluster and Dre Archer types, where people in the media say, "Well, we'll just get him in space at the NFL level," and I don't care if he's a you know Tavon Austin. I don't care if he's a running back or a receiver. He's super fast, and you see all the big plays he made in the Big Twelve when the hash marks are super wide and no one can run with them. Like you can't just get people in space at the NFL level and just have them run crazy. It's you can't scheme that up or everyone would do it. And so there's a risk here, but he's really intriguing and looked really good at the senior bowl too. There's a lot less space in the NFL. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, Dr- right. Good pull with Dre Archer too. I hadn't heard that name in a long time. He, he disappeared very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's as big as my right leg. Uh, All right, we're out of time here, Matt. Good stuff. Those are the running backs in the NFL draft. The top 10, according to Matt Williamson, will be back tomorrow, uh, Twitter Thursday. We're done with the divisions. We'll see what news pops up. Uh, I'm interested in this uh, mock draft that the NFL teams are doing. All 32 teams, Roger Goodell said, are going to do a a dry run mock draft. I wonder what names are going to be thrown out there because, you know, teams aren't going to tip their hand to the real players they actually want. So maybe they'll even throw some fake ones out there to try to change things up who knows but uh man even the nfl like a smart idea though <laughs> oh, it's, it's a great idea it's, it's something that has yeah. to be done you got to do a dry run but it's just hilarious to me that the nfl people and gms are literally doing mock drafts and working in basements right now right. <laughs> all right all right for matt williamson i am brian peacock we will be back tomorrow right here locked on nfl